0: We're in a series on First Peter, and, and we're going to continue it today. We had a guest speaker last week. It was great to hear him. His name was Ezra, um, just sharing his heart uh, with us and just a fresh voice into our community. I want to start off with a story. Frank and I, a couple of weeks ago, like I had mentioned, we went to this church planting um, week, or not week, a few days up here in the province as kind of like alumni or people that are still involved, because our church is still involved in C2C, so they invited us up. and, and uh, So we went, and our kids, um, you know, they're, they're kind of probably old enough to hang around on their own, but we fixed something up with my aunt and uncle, uh, my great, my uncle, their great uncle, and um, we thought it'd be fun for them to hang around with them. So my aunt calls us and says, hey, she's, she's very great at preparing stuff and making sure she'll have enough food for them and everything, right? So she's like, Dave, what do they do for, what do the kids do for breakfast? And Frank is sitting in the kitchen, and I'm talking on the phone, and I'm like, breakfast? I says, yeah, the kids, no, they don't really do much for breakfast. So my wife kind of perks up because my wife, here she leaves early in the morning. She starts at some days 7, some days 5. So she's gone before the kids are up. So now I'm talking and she's overhearing and she's asking if they eat breakfast. And I say, they don't eat breakfast, really. Don't worry about that, you know. And my wife's like, what do you mean they don't eat breakfast? What's... Dave, where have you dropped the ball on this? Like, why are they not eating? And and it was like, what do you mean? You know? And and I thought, uh, well, look. I mean, then I shifted the blame to the kids. I'm like, it's the, look, they're they're late. They take their time. Whatever, right? Uh, no, I didn't do that, but I tried. But here here's the thing. She kind of got this little quick like. Hey, breakfast is so important, right? How many times have we ever heard breakfast is the most important meal of the day, right? Because it gives you brain food apparently. I don't know how toast gives us brain food, but there's something in there that, you know, energizes our brains to work. And so figuring out the start of their day, getting up and actually breathing is not enough, right? They have to eat and and kind of move forward. And so I was thinking about that as we jump into this next section of 1 Peter, because Peter is very concerned with the nourishment of the people he's writing to. The nourishment of their spiritual, their their spiritual growth, their faith, their journey following Jesus, that just uh, coming to Jesus, kind of breathing this new life is not enough. They need to grow into that. And I want to read with you together 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Right into the next chapter, a couple of verses. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. Uh, otherwise, follow with us on the screen. And uh, we're just jumping right in. We're taking kind of section by section of Peter uh, over the next little while. So here we go, verse 22, chapter 1. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. And like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good." Man, what a great text. I just pray that the Lord would speak to us through it this morning. I was chatting with a, uh, someone at Westside who's newer to Westside, and he was telling me that he's already discerned several words that we say here a lot. And he told me one of the words we say here a lot is the word intentional. Is that true? Do we say the word intentional a lot? So so he t- I'm like, yeah, that's cool. And I said, I said, you know what? There's some words I wouldn't take as a compliment, but intentional is a compliment. I'm like, that's, that's okay. And I think that's good because it's not like, I don't know if we actually read the word intentional in the Scripture. Scriptures, I can't, uh, you can check and, you know, research, it's not a word that jumps up, but I think it's a biblical word. I mean, a biblical meaning, a biblical theme, I think it's intended all over the Bible. And we find it here in 1 Peter chapter 1, going into chapter 2, where Peter's telling us, or telling these readers initially, but also us, something has happened to these people. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, something has happened to these people something significant, and, and it's evident. There's evidence of it. He says, now that this has happened, that you've purified yourself with, by obeying the truth, you now have a sincere love for one another. So something has happened in them that's changed them, transformed them, and it's showing up in how they love one another or, how they, or their sincerity in their love. Let's just pause for a second. There's so many things we can call fruit of the gospel, but one of the things we see all over the scriptures as the fruit of the gospel is love. And not just love, but I love the adjective, sincere love. without Love without dirt, love without resistance, love without obstacles, a sincere love. In fact, we know this because Jesus even told his disciples, they will know you by your love. And he said, when you love one another, I will be lifted up. And John told us later in the scriptures that, He asked the question, how can you say you love God if you don't love one another? For those who love God, love one another. So there's this key fruit of the gospel, the message and transformation of Jesus, that is love. And Peter sees it in them. He says, something's happened to you. You've been purified, changed, transformed because you've obeyed this truth. And we see it in the sincerity of your love. But Peter still says after that, I see the sincerity of your love. But then he says, and he kind of now turns to this imperative, love one another deeply. Like, why would he say, hey guys, I think your love is so amazing, so sincere. And then he switches and says, love one another deeply. And, it, and, and here's where this intentionality comes from. We see it again in the scriptures. This idea that, yes, this is what, is what happens to someone as someone comes to faith and transformation starts to take place. But then there's always this call towards intentionality. It's like X x happened here, and there's evidence of it, but God's calling us to like X to the power of 10, right? X has happened, something has happened, but God is calling us to the fulfillment of that here. In other words, X is only the beginning. X is only the start. Later in chapter 2, verse 2, Peter actually says, he says that you would, and here's the words, grow up in your salvation. He's already told them something amazing has happened to you guys. You've been transformed from the inside out. But then later he said, what does he say? Grow up into your salvation. In other words, X has happened, but I want you to grow up into X to the power of 10. I want you to grow up. You've experienced a glimpse of this salvation, and we've talked about it in Peter already. There's the fullness of that in the new creation, but there's so much room to keep growing into experiencing that and living that out. And so you hear that, and and I'm like, okay, thanks, Peter, for letting us know that this has happened behind the scenes. But how, how do we do that? How do we grow from X to X10? And it's interesting because Peter gives us this real key ingredient that's not like a guessing game ingredient in this text, but a key ingredient for both how people have come to faith and grow in faith. And it's the same ingredient that starts... People often faith in the same ingredient that grows them in their journey of faith. And he uses this word three or four times. It's actually the word, word. The word of God. Or the word of the Lord. Or the word he replaces with the word truth. Or he says the word that was preached to you. And it seems like Peter is telling us the word of God, God's word or message to us, is what transforms us and also what grows us. It seems like the word of God is both a seed that starts the growth, and it's also the feed that feeds the growth. And so today I want to just kind of, this simple um, way of looking at this text is these two words, seed and feed. You can't buy weed and feed anymore in Quebec, but that's a really bad joke. Anyways, um, (laughs) seed and feed. And both seeding and feeding as we see this in this text, are essential for the life that God has in store for us. To seed something is to start something, but to feed something is to see that flourish, right? To seed something, you start it. To feed it, you long for that to flourish. Now, I could have swapped priorities with, my, with, with uh, kind of my kids' breakfast and lunch and said, you know what, I'll feed them breakfast, but I won't make them lunch. That would not be great because then I'd be seeding their day but not letting them flourish by lunch. They'd be fried, right, by that time. And so that's not really the solution. We need both. We need to seed and we need to feed. What we see here first in this text in the first few verses is the seed. And Peter pulls back the curtain of their experience and says something happened to you and what has transformed you and begin to show an evidence has come because you have heard a message. He calls it the truth. Then he calls it the word. And that word is this seed that led to their new birth. In chapter 1, he talked about their new birth, their inheritance, their living hope. How did they get to that? They got it because something changed them. They heard this word, this truth, and they obeyed it. And, and it starts the new life. It, it secures their inheritance. It gives them a living hope. There's apparently already evidence, evidence of it in their sincere love. But here's the deal. It's this word of God that actually seeds this transformation process, that starts it. And it's not an ordinary word. Peter calls it an imperishable seed. Not a perishable seed, but an imperishable seed. One that will endure, a living and active. And what is that word? Is the word like, is the word that Peter's talking about just the pages of Scripture? Is the word some verses that we read? I believe Peter is referring directly to Jesus. Jesus is that word, that truth, that seed that transforms someone. And it was Jesus or the message of Jesus, the message that Jesus is the climax of God's story, the message that no one needs to live a life without relationship with God, the message that Jesus is God's, plan to rescue humanity from brokenness, all that is wrapped up in this word, in this message, Jesus. And they were transformed when they heard this word and when they obeyed this word, hearing it and obeying it. But the key ingredient was Jesus. How do we know that? Because Peter quotes this Old Testament text, Isaiah chapter 40. And it's a part of the section of Isaiah that is all about the Messiah. If you read from chapter 40 to chapter 55, we get introduced to God's plan that will eventually come in his Messiah, his servant. And he's going to send his servant to bring his plan to a climax. And I just want to read a couple of verses from that. They're on the screen. The first is Isaiah chapter... Oh, go to the... Is there one before? there one after that, uh, Abigail. Go to the one after that. Yes, let's read this first. So, so, No, sorry. I messed up. Okay, go back. Go back up. I'll just read for now. Let me read this. Peter quotes uh, part of chapter 44 where it says, All people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Peter takes this from Isaiah 40. Peter takes this from one of the Old Testament prophets, and he lets us know that something significant is happening, that grass can wither and grass can fade, but God's word endures forever. God's message is powerful and imperishable and endures forever. And if we just jump, go to the next slide, in just a verse before that in Isaiah, look how he prepares us. Isaiah says, in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for God. Does anybody recognize who fulfilled this in the New Testament? It's John the Baptist. John the Baptist came as someone who would prepare the way for Jesus. And yet, what Isaiah is talking about is this living word. John assumes this as his purpose, that he would prepare the way for what? The living word. So we see this for the way of the Lord, for our God. If we go to the next one that would have taken place later in Isaiah 40. You who bring what? Good news to Zion. Go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem. Lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. And throughout Isaiah 40 up until 55, we see God working through, he's going to work through his servant, who we know is Jesus. Jesus. In fact, here's later on in chapter 55. Give ear and come to me, God says. Listen that you may live. Jesus said, come to me. All who come to me will have life. All who believe in me, spirits of living water will flow from you. Come to me. Jesus, God said to the the disciples, you must listen to my son. And here's this connection. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. All of this points to Jesus. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Jesus, the living Word, made His dwelling among us. I love Hebrews chapter 1, where the writer tells us that God in the former days spoke through the prophets and the law. But today, now and onward, He speaks through who? His Son, his son is the message. His son is the word. His son is God's message to us, the imperishable seed. And it's so important for us to know that, that it's not just some words on a page that transform somebody's life. It's the message of God to us. To us. You know, sometimes humans really mess that up. And sometimes people that are connected to a Christian faith mess that up. As I was telling you, this church planting conference, and there was an amazing group of individuals that God is calling to work with indigenous people in our country, the different nations and tribes. And uh, amazing to hear their heart, their story, their passion, their love. And one of the common themes in many of the indigenous tribes and nations, and they call them nations um, in terms of groups within that group, is that they, 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 they had like this, almost, almost like this prophecy. They felt that somebody, that, that they heard this voice, the creator's voice telling them, uh, man will come with this book, and, and this book will give you peace and life. And you hear that, and we're like, oh, wow, that's amazing. That sounds so missionary-like. But we unfortunately know part of the rest of the story where a man did come with a book. It's likely the Bible, but the people likely were involved in that didn't have the best of intentions and the best agenda. It's almost like God was preparing them. The message, the word is coming to you. But sometimes the messengers can really mess up the message. Sometimes the messengers can have a bad agenda. Sometimes the, messen- the messengers can have unclear, unclear reasons in what they're doing or what they want to see accomplished. But God is, here's, I love God's heart in this. He's, he was speaking to a people to say, this word will come to you. Wouldn't it be amazing if the real word showed up among that people group, among our nation as a whole? The word of life, the enduring word. So here's the thing. The seed gives life. The seed of truth, though, is not enough. It must move forward. You must also feed on truth. See, starting is great, but flourishing is means that we need to feed on something. I love the story of, that Jesus shares about the kingdom. He talks about the kingdom like a sower, you know, like someone coming just with seeds and kind of throwing the seeds on the ground. And as the seeds fall, some of the seeds take root and grow. And Jesus talks about the different kinds of people that will hear the message. Some will grab onto it and grow. Some will grow a little bit, but the, the, you know, the issues of life will choke them. Some will fall on like dry ground and that seed will not flourish. Jesus is saying... God's kingdom, God's message comes. His desire is that it it doesn't just start, but that it would grow and grow and flourish. So we move to this point. Seeding is not enough. Feeding is the next piece of this, right? We go from seeding to feeding because we start moving towards flourishing. When my son Andrew was born, man, it was like um, first child, just... Wonder and awe and beauty. And you're like, this is amazing. I was thinking like, do I have enough love for this kid? And, and it, just the experience of that was just extraordinary. And I remember we had this new baby, Andrew. And um, within a couple of hours or a day or so, we, we realized that there was a, a problem with feeding him. Either he wasn't taking to my wife or, or, or vice versa, And we started to realize, like, oh, Andrew's not eating. Andrew's not feeding. Andrew's not, like, going to eat, you know? And so all of a sudden, we went from this reveling in beauty and joy and wonder and excitement to anxiety and fear and crying, and wondering, like, this baby was just born, we can't let him die, like, we have to feed him, right? And so there was this, all of a sudden, we were in this moment of anxiety, because we knew that this baby was just born, it was wonderful, that's the start, but we can't just, like, we got to feed him, we got to figure this out. But he just wasn't eating that way. So, like, the conscious budgeter I am, like, oh, now we got to buy food, right? And then we're like, that's important, we have to feed this kid we got to make sure this kid eats and grows. And Andrew was an amazing eater. It was crazy. But, um, But the point is this. It wasn't enough just to give birth to him. It wasn't enough just to see this baby born. We had to keep him alive. At the very least, the path to flourishing is feeding. And Peter says these words, later in chapter 2, that just like newborn babies crave spiritual, pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Peter is saying it's, it's incredible what has happened to you. You've been purified by obeying the truth. We see the evidence of it. That's the living word, Jesus, that has done this to you. But then he goes on to say, in fact, just before this verse, he talks about ridding themselves of malice and deceit and envy, because even the evidence of love can be choked by malice and deceit and envy and jealousy. And Peter says these things still exist in you. You must get rid of them. But instead, instead, if you go back to verse two, he's He says, like newborn babies, crave this spiritual milk. What's that milk? It's the same same ingredient that seeded their faith. It's still the word, the living word, Jesus. It's the message of Jesus, the person of Jesus, the presence of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus is the same word that seeded them would then feed them. And Peter is actually feeding them with this letter because he knows there's these... There's these Christ followers in the middle of, 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 of Asia Minor, what's known as Turkey today, and they're left on their own. They're, they feel marginalized and exiled, and Peter writes them a letter. Why does he write them a letter? To feed them. He writes them a letter to nourish them. He writes them a letter so they don't just start in faith, but that they would flourish in faith. And so part of the feeding is actually Peter reminding them of what happened to them and how this happened and reminding them of who they are and rooting them in the story and unpacking and explaining that story to feed them again with the word, with the living word, Jesus. Now, we have this word, like some people, you know, pick up the word like this, like kind of on their phone. Um, and, we, and we might say, oh, this, this is the word of God. And I'm not saying this isn't the word of God, don't get me wrong. But I want you to understand that the word, Jesus, in a sense we begin to we know him partly today because of the words of Jesus and the words of the apostles right but Jesus is the living word Jesus is the core message so Jesus comes in the flesh the word becomes flesh people meet him see him discover him they witness him they tell each other orally many for many many years and then their words get recorded in something called the gospel and that gospel gets told and spread and passed around and then they start to live it out. So all of a sudden the word, the living word of truth, it became flesh, it was witnessed, it's recorded, it's passed on to others, it gets lived out. And we see it in the book of The Gospels, that's Jesus' life. That's the word right before us. We see the book of Acts where people are coming to this word, the living word, and coming and growing and and becoming followers of Christ. We see it in the letters where Paul writes to these Christ followers who've been impacted by the word of truth, Jesus, and start growing. We see it in Revelation when John writes to these persecuted Christians and says, Jesus is your, like we were saying today, the lion and the lamb. He's on the throne. He is with you. He will take you through this dark moment. He's the living word. So we have the word and the words. But I want to just caution you. Don't presume that spiritual milk is only the Bible. And Why do I say that? Because what were these Christians in Asia Minor going to do when Peter said, crave spiritual milk? Were they going to pull out their, their NIV out of their pocket? Were they going to open their phone and go to, go to like Paul's letters? They didn't have that. They didn't have the Bible we have in our hands. So when Peter says, crave spiritual milk, he doesn't just mean... This book we have in our hands, a collection of God's story. That can't be that because they didn't have that. Their understanding of the message of God is wrapped up in Jesus. So even when we read the word, we always filter it through Jesus. He's the climax. He's the real, living, active word. I have a feeling that when, one day when we're in eternity, around God's throne, I don't think anybody's going to pull out First Peter I, don't, I just can imagine that because we, the words in front of us, the living words in front of us, it'll still be recorded documents, but I have a sense that the, the living imperishable seed word will be there with us. So these pages might not endure forever, but what these pages represent and how they reflect the living word endure forever, they're imperishable. But in these pages, we do discover the Word. We do discover Jesus. And so that's why we read the Scriptures. That's why we read the Gospels. That's why we unpack 1 Peter today. That's why we worship and point to Jesus as we worship. But I can imagine that Peter's listeners, their pursuit of spiritual milk involved uh, retelling the story of the apostles, um, singing a hymn like we find in Philippians chapter 2 that tells us who Jesus is, that though he was God, he didn't take equality with God, something to be grasped, but took on the form of human nature and went to the cross and died. I think they sang hymns like that. I believe that maybe the elders taught and preached and that was a way that they, they were fed. They prayed and sought the Lord together and we know that that happened right from the book of Acts where believers got together and prayed and worshiped and interceded and, and, they, and they listened to one another and they obeyed the truth and they, they shared it with one another because they didn't have this Bible to study but they had the word, They had the core message. They had the teachings. They had the creeds. I mean, we're lucky, man. We're lucky we got this letter. We're lucky we get to read through it today. We get to read through it and talk about it and dissect it and unpack it and go deep in it. But we need to feed on this word alongside spending time with Jesus, alongside asking the Lord, how do I obey this word, alongside worship in our community, where the living word becomes our focus, and the words here point us, keep pointing us to Jesus and pointing us to God's plan. And the heart of this is, is really this. New life is seeded with the word. A flourishing life is fed on the word. Now, here's my question as we come to a close in a couple of minutes. How many of you have embraced the seed but not the feed? Think about that. How many of us have embraced the the seed of the gospel, but we don't feed on the gospel. In other words, amazing start. Wow, I just love Jesus. He's so awesome. I've been a Christian for 10 years. But how many of us would say we have embraced the seed, but we have not embraced the feed? In other words, we got seeded with the living word, but we don't feed on the living word. And if that's the case, I mean, maybe some of us got locked into faith, but haven't flourished. How, 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 how many of us would be honest and say, "I feel stale in my walk with Christ. I feel stagnant in my faith." And part of that is because we can get so excited about starting, but not feeding and flourishing. And I, here's my my concern for myself and even us as a community: that we can become malnourished Christ followers. Malnourished Christ followers get so excited when the seedlings grow and then like no feeding and we get malnourished. And now you say, how can I tell I'm malnourished? I don't know. There's maybe different ways we can talk about this. I was talking with someone from our church that was concerned about a few people that were really struggling um, in life in general and they noticed that these people were just trying to find support and good support but weren't rooted in the living word. And, and this person said, you know, my concern for them is that no matter what they do, they're never going to feel the strength of being rooted in Christ. And so they, they never turn to scripture for strength. They never turn to prayer for strength. They turn to community, you know, pray for me or encourage me. And then it's like, it, it starts to make sense. It's true. How can, how can someone f- walk through difficulties in life and not be, not be feeding on the living word? Well, here's some ways we might know we're malnourished. When we look for encouragement in escape, we're likely malnourished. When we look for encouragement in just escaping, then we're not finding true strength in the living word. When we look for contentment in consuming, then we're, maybe we're not really feeding on the living word, Jesus, and the words of Jesus that grow contentment in us. When we pursue satisfaction in success, and here's the thing, when we pursue the escape, we pursue the consuming, we pursue the success, and then we, we sit back and say, realize none of these things are helping me. None of these things are really going deep. None of these things are really filling me. So the question is, what do you crave? Do you crave, like Peter says, pure spiritual milk. Don't view spiritual milk like Paul says. Paul says, you know, um, I'm not going to give you meat, so I'm going to give you milk. So it's like, don't view spiritual milk as like baby steps. View spiritual milk as you need to feed on the living word to grow, to be sustained, to be strong, to know Jesus, to experience him every day, that you walk with him and turn to him every moment and not just turn to other things. What do you crave? I'm going to ask the band to come up as, as we close in a moment, and I want to share this story. I was um, talking to a leader of uh, of the mission organization that we we work with, and every time I'm with him, um, I met him for the first time in Thailand, and every time I see him, I say, I say, uh, and I, I don't mention all these names just because of where they're working in the world, you know. But I always say, Hey, what's what was your what was your what was your most recent crazy story? Because every time I've been with him, he shares some kind of a story of transformation or mission that just blows my mind. So I, was, I, I saw, bumped into him uh, a week and a half ago, and I said, Hey, tell me your last crazy story, your most recent story. So he's like, You know what? We were in, uh, we were in northern Iraq, and um, ISIS has been gone, and the area has actually been allowed to do open gatherings where people can come and hear the gospel. And so, first of all, you're thinking, Northern Iraq, I've seen the pictures, must be crazy. But they are doing four nights of, of gatherings where both Christ followers uh, and Muslims in the area and others will come to hear the, the living word, right? So um, he says, you know, I was there the first day and I was so tired because he had 30 days of nonstop ministry, traveling, and everything. And um, he just... He went home and he said, you know what? He called somebody back home and he said, book me a flight tomorrow because I'm going to just, gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just like, fall asleep for the next seven days. I can't take it. And he did those arrangements and then he prayed and he's like, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he sensed the Lord saying, just stay the course. So he scrapped, he scrapped the change of plans and he stayed three extra days. The next day he's there, there's a Muslim man that comes and makes a beeline for him after the gathering or during the gathering. And he just, all that he says to the, him is he just says, Can you pray for me? He's like, why do you, What do you need? What do you need prayer for? Tell me. And he's like, I just don't have the strength to keep following Jesus. I find it so hard and difficult. And, and he says, Tell me why. What's going on? And he finds out that this guy is like um, a leader. In, he, was a, he was like a religious Iman leader, like almost taught in like Islamic seminary. And, uh, and so he was a teacher in, in part of the Middle East when he started to really research for himself, he was really getting, um, what's the word, kind of like lost or um, just, just losing the sense of purpose in his faith. And he's like, there has to be something different. He starts to search. And he, he starts to search the New Testament. And he starts to inch closer to Jesus. And he becomes a follower of Christ. But of course, now there's a price on his head like to kill him. So he moves to another country. And there's a price on his head to get him there, and he moves to an obscure part of the Middle East. And, uh, and he's just broken because he says, I know that what I found is true, but it's so hard. Can you please pray for me? They start to pray for him, uh, a few of them, and um, he just there's just, just this sense of real deliverance uh, that takes place right in that moment as they're praying for him. And he, has, he, he describes that he never felt that kind of freedom before. But my friend says, I can't just leave him like this. So the next day he spends the whole day with him. The whole day with him. And he starts, he, he, they talk about prayer and spiritual warfare and some of the difficulties that Christ followers might go through in certain situations. And, and he really just spends the day discipling him, reading scriptures, uh, you know, praying together. And then he knows he has to leave, so he connects him with a medical missionary to, be a, like, to help him continue on this journey. And as I, as I li- thought of that story, I thought, here is here is such a a a vivid seed and feed story like the gospel seeds transformation and growth in somebody but you can't just stop there and we can't just stop there and this even this man with such a a significant transformation here's the beautiful thing he came to jesus rationally studying all the texts his wife came to jesus through a dream the seed of the gospel, the seed of the living word came to them in different ways, but it both pointed them to Jesus. The seed came, but they both needed to flourish and feed. So my heart for us as we think about this is in our own lives. Are we feeding? Are we flourishing? And Maybe it feels a little bit, you know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not comparing our story to his because his story is pretty intense. But we need to look at ourselves and say, hey, am I growing up in my salvation? And so as we, we move into this just short time of worship, um, two questions for you as we, as we do this. Do you need to, maybe do you need to feed on the living word? Have you not fed on Jesus, on the scriptures? Would you make a commitment today, this week, to say, you know what, recognize I have seeded my faith, I am a follower of Jesus, but I'm going to be 100% honest, I do not feed my faith. I do not move towards flourishing. And that this week, you just make one step forward and say, I will feed my faith, I will I will read the stories of Jesus. I will, I, will, I will get reacquainted with Christ in the Gospels. I will then, as I read that, you know, pray them out and, and maybe journal it out or pray and seek the Lord. Maybe say, I'm going to spend time with a group of believers. Maybe join one of our community groups. Maybe today you're making a commitment and say, I need to be here every Sunday unless I'm sick because I need to feed my faith journey and flourish. And it's not just one thing. Like, yes, read the Bible, please. We have a reading plan on our, on our website. Go and use it. Um, it encourages you to, to walk through scriptures. But, but partner with that prayer and community and reflection and worship and our large group and our small groups because you can't just, we can't just stay at this place. We need to flourish. And that's going to take feeding. But well, maybe you're here today and you're thinking, I haven't even started. You're the seed. You're like... I want to seed this faith. And if that's you, then I can just be honest with you. You'll never flourish if you don't start. You might want all the, you know, like what you're hearing about God and learning about God and seeing in some other people. But let me tell you, you need to start. You need to, as Peter says, you will be purified by obeying the truth. When you come to recognize this is Jesus, the living word. He's the truth. I'm going to obey him. I'm going to trust him. And when you put your trust in him, he seeds new growth in you. He seeds new life. Let's stand as we we worship in this moment. And I'm going to just give you the time, even as we worship, to discern where you are. And if you're on this part where you say, I need to seed my faith, even as we're singing, I encourage you to just with your own words put your trust in Jesus tell him Jesus I trust you I I, want to serve you I want to follow you I recognize that my life without you is not as it's meant to be that you have come to rescue me from my brokenness and embrace his mercy and start that process trust him and I guarantee you if you're doing that authentically with the Lord he will seed faith in you but as we're singing if you need to feed You need to maybe make some commitments to the Lord and say, I will, I want to flourish, God. I want to flourish. I want to move forward. Let's sing this song and reflect on this, guys. Lead us and um, I'll let us have some time with the Lord as we do. pray right now and I just want to encourage you when I'm done praying if you've made a decision either to seed your faith and put your faith in Christ or or maybe that's recent for you and you want to grow please don't leave without talking to someone or maybe come in and speak to myself and if there's more than one or two people we'll get some others and if you've made a decision to flourish your faith um, I just I want to encourage you let us know somehow send us a note post it on our Facebook page come tell me or someone That you you you're making a commitment to feed on the living Word of God, Jesus. Let's pray, Father. First, we just thank you, God. Now we have been purified by obeying the truth, the message, and life encapsulated in Jesus. And God, we long to see the evidence like Peter was noticing, of sincere love. But even beyond that, God, all the evidence that comes from a life transformed by obeying Jesus. So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for that seed, the amazing word, your word, imperishable, that transforms us from the inside out. God, I pray for any today who are making that choice for the first time or just realizing the importance of this step and saying yes to you to seek new life new birth living hope in Christ God I pray um, for many of us whether we've just started following you or we've been following you for 20 years that we would be a people that crave that crave the living word Jesus that crave pure spiritual milk your truth And Lord, we thank you for the scriptures that give us the recorded truth, that give us the dialogue of your early church who put their lives and faith in Jesus, that we get to read the life and teachings and stories of your son, Jesus Christ, the living word. We thank you for for pieces of the book of Acts where we see the preaching of your living word um, just come out so strongly and people responding in faith God, we're so grateful for your words, your word, the scriptures that point us to your life and point us to Jesus. And God, may we be people that, that read and, and, and absorb, but God, may it be out of a motivation to feed on the living word, your son. Lord, we long for that. We long for that. And any other spiritual practices that can help us flourish. Prayer, scripture, Reflection, worship, community, service, obedience. God, we we long to flourish and grow in our salvation. We thank you for our salvation, but we want to grow in it. So we commit that to you, Lord, and, and trust that by your Holy Spirit and your grace, you will enable us and empower us daily. God, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.